Praise the Lord. You may be seated. I want my wife to come, and she's going to greet you. I always tease her to say she's my better three-fourths. Praise the Lord, saints of grace. Hallelujah. Such an honor to be here. Always a pleasure to come and be at Grace and be with our friends, the Murphys, and friends we've made through the years. It's always so great to see. And I was thinking as we sang, uh, what a day that will be to imagine, to look upon his face. What a great, what a great moment and eternity that will be. There are the arrogant, the high-minded, the self-willed who do not even realize that it is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth and the inhabitants there are, are as grasshoppers. There is no realization that this is his world. The earth's is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Nor do they realize that he will speak the last word, he'll write the last line, and the last moment will belong to him. We are a blessed people to have our souls alive and aligned with this great truth. What a blessed people we are to know, to have the knowledge of Jesus Christ alive in this earth, knowing that he is at the helm. He created the universe. He died for us. He shed his blood for us. And we know him. And he knows us. I'm so thankful for the day truth came into my life. I so appreciate all the sacrifice that he made for me and for you. And I want to do my part. I want to just do it to reach this world. I want to see the high-minded, the arrogant, the apathetic. I want to see them turn to God. And we need to do all we can do quickly because he's coming soon. God bless you. Pleasure to be here today. Praise the Lord. It is such a great privilege to be in the house of God today, to be with Brother and Sister Murphy. We consider them some of our dearest friends, and we appreciate every opportunity to be with them in fellowship and with this great church. And we, there's so many friends here, and we uh, just appreciate seeing you, and we have enjoyed um, what we did last night. We uh, are looking forward to, end, to ending it today. Uh, kind of tacking on to the end of that and ending it. But um, it's always a pleasure, such a great spirit of the Lord. We, um, as a matter of fact, today I'm going, to, I'm going to mentor you. That's kind of what we do anyway. Um, I, I have a degree course, as some of you already know, and if you're interested in it, it's in life coaching slash mentoring slash consulting. And uh, it's really the only one of its kind that I know of anyway. And it's just talked, it is all about establishing people. It's discipling, um, even even has a lot to do with soul winning. Um, so if you're interested, see me after service. I'll talk to you about it. And we also have developed a, um, we actually developed it for overseas, but now we've uh, opened it up a distance learning seminary. It is a seminary level seminary, bachelor's, master's, doctorate. And it's very affordable. Um, 
if you're interested in getting, I'm, I'm talking about a real, not a Bible school and, and not a Bible course, but it's a real seminary. If you really want to get into the word and get into this study, um, it's a good thing to get involved with. We, that's what we've been doing quite a bit, setting up churches to be learning centers, to be their own um, kind of seminary slash training that takes care of both sides, takes care of how you deal with people, and then takes care of learning all about the Word of God. We need to learn about the Word of God. Study to show thyself approved. Workmen that needed not, not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We've been talking about damp, and I have to be very careful and have good diction. D-A-M-P, damp. We talked about desire, and we talked about attitude, and we talked about motive. And today we're going to finish that out. The P of damp. And that's potential. I want, and I'm going to, as I say, I'm going to present this uh, as a, a mentor, almost a mentoring session, where I want to mentor you. So it's a little bit different than just um, a message that somebody might get up and and preach. But I want to talk to you about some things, and I can't bring everything that I have in my notes because it's way too much. Uh, material, but I'm going to try to connect with one particular part of it. We've been we've been centering on the second mile and um, all that that means, and how it's associated with desire, and how it's associated with attitude, and how it's a revealer of motives. What the Lord said about going the second mile, and what I want to talk to you about today is that you you can never really realize what I'm going to say to you today until you get to the second mile. All of the truths that I wanted to bring you today are not first mile truths. They are second mile truths. It's that extra mile. It's beyond the what's extracted from us. So we're going to read two scriptures. One is in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2 and the other is in 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 34. And I want to pick up a phrase in, in the reading from 2 Kings that I want to emphasize in this, in this today. And as I say, just consider yourself being mentored. I want to talk to you about something so very, very important, so vital. But I believe that if you'll allow God to speak to you today, he will teach you some truths about yourself. Beloved, 1 John 3 and 2, Beloved, now we are the sons of God. Now we are. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I want you to notice that phrase, what we shall be. And that's the title of this today. What, we, what ye shall be. What ye shall be. I want to make it more personal. What ye shall be. Second Kings chapter 4 and verse 34. And he went up and lay upon the child and put his mouth upon his mouth and his eyes upon his eyes and his hands upon his hands. And he stretched himself upon the child and the flesh of the child waxed warm. I want to to especially emphasize, and he stretched himself. 
and he stretched himself. So I want you to notice that, and we were talking today about what ye shall be. Let's just ask the Lord to bless his word. Lord, we thank you for the reading of your word. We thank you, Lord, for the power that is in your word. We ask you, God, to move in a very special way today. Speak to us, oh God. Speak to us very personally in this place. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you're following me in the syllabus, some of you I know don't have syllabuses. We gave out syllabus. Um, some of the things I'm, that I'm going to say, um, are, 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 everything I'm going to say is on the syllabus, but I'm not going to say everything that you have listed. So you'll just have to kind of follow me. What ye shall be. First John chapter 3 and verse 2 has always been used as a prophecy scripture, but I think it also has to do with life here on this earth. We never stop advancing. There once was a lady who had been broken by a tragedy in her life, and she had been living under a crushing weight and heavy burden for so long that all the praise that she had had given way to complaint. And finally, she cried out in bitterness of soul. She said, oh, I would to God that I had never been made. And in response to that, those rebellious words, a friend very wisely replied, Why, my dear child, you are not made yet. You are only being made. And you are quarreling with God's process. In a very real sense, we are being made. We are being made right now. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. And as I've already mentioned to you, it all really comes down to attitude. Elisha was called one day to raise a boy from the dead. The Bible said that Elisha stretched himself on the body of that boy. And that's a good phrase, stretching ourselves. You need to get a rubber band, just kind of carry it around with you. Rubber bands come in different sizes and different colors and different shapes. But they all work on the same principle, that they must be stretched to be effective. Like rubber bands, our personalities and talents and gifts are very different, but we're also not effective unless we're stretched. If you're not stretching in your own personal walk with God and in your leadership abilities, then you're not going to be able to be as effective for God as you really need to be. Unless you try to do something beyond what you have already mastered, you will never, ever grow. We're all, in a sense, rubber bands. We are created to stretch ourselves. Leonard Ravenhill relates that a group of tourists one time were in a village in Europe. And one of them asked an elderly villager, said, have any great men been born in this village? And the old man replied, no, only babies. (laughs) Every person who has ever achieved anything has had to stretch for it. There is no such thing as a self-made person. There is no such thing as a person who comes into the world fully equipped for success. Every person who has ever made it to the top, every every person who has ever achieved anything for God, every person who has ever been effective has learned to stretch themselves. 
One of the most common mistakes and one of the costliest mistakes is thinking that success is due to some genius or some magic something or other which we don't possess. Success is due to our stretching, to the challenges of life. Failure comes when we shrink from them. There's no such thing as a person who was born great. You know, why don't we stretch? I would guess that 95% of us try to avoid stretching ourselves. When we come up against something that is bigger than we are, we tend to back off. What keeps us from expanding? Why do we avoid those stretching experiences? I think fear has to be the number one reason. The unknown out there can really paralyze us. But another reason is that we're, we're satisfied. You know, why should we stretch? <laughs> why should we stretch? We don't want to just do it or whatever, you know. Why should we stretch? We're satisfied. We already like where we are. We haven't made as far as we're concerned. We've reached a comfort zone. Or perhaps there's a streak of laziness. Maybe that, that's it. We're just lazy. There are times when we would just rather like to take it easy. I have found that self-esteem has a lot to do with one's willingness to stretch. A lot of people with low self-esteem have above-average ability. They just don't see themselves in the proper light. Some of us just don't want to be different. If you stretch, you're no longer ordinary. To stretch is to be out of sync with a lot of our friends and associates. You know, most of us need to be motivated before we stretch. It's not something that comes natural. We need to learn how to stretch, and we need to motivate ourselves. One of those powerful parts of mentoring is a thing called self-talk. I love it. Learning how to be your own motivational speaker, or learning how to motivation, motivate yourselves. But we also need to know how to motivate other people and help them reach their potential. Now, I'm not, a, I'm not an Alabama fan. I don't like Alabama football team. But, matter of fact, when they were the only SEC team in that group, I, I just had to hold my nose and root for them. But I have to say I was a little bit happy they lost. But anyway, but I want to, one of the guys I've always admired is Bear Bryant, who was, a, he was the coach for the Alabama Crimson Tide for many years. He held the record for several years as the college coach with the most victories. But one of the things I like about him was that he was an outstanding coach, but he was a tremendous motivator. And his players knew how, you know, they, that they knew how to play good football because of him. He would motivate them. And he knew how to motivate. And the story is told that during one important game, his team was ahead by six points, and there was one minute less left in the game. And they had the ball. It looked like the game was sewed up. He sent in a running play to the quarterback. He said, I just want you to, to run the ball. This is a running play. But the quarterback decided that he would surprise the other team and Coach Bryant. And he was going to call a pass play. So he told the men in the huddle, so they're looking for the run. Let's throw a pass. So he went back and threw a pass. Sure enough, the defensive cornerback, who was the fastest man in the SEC, he was a speed champion. He intercepted the pass, and he was headed to the goal line. Alabama was about to lose the game. The Alabama quarterback, who was noted for his good arm but not for his fast legs at all, 
He went after that cornerback, and he caught that world-class sprinter. He caught him on the five-yard line, and Alabama won the game. And the opposing coach went to Bear Bryant after the game, and he asked this question. He said, I thought that your quarterback was slow. How in the world did he catch my world-class sprinter? And Bear Bryant looked at the opposing coach, and he said, you have to understand something. Your man was racing for six points. My man was racing for his life. (laughs) Some of us have to be racing for our lives before we're motivated to stretch. What motivates you? What makes you want to be your best for the glory of God? Think about it for a few minutes. For some people, challenge itself is a stimulant, but others are motivated by dissatisfaction with their present situation. Or we can be spurred on by previous successes. One of the things that helps me stretch is to make a public commitment, a public goal. I believe that that's what this church is in the middle of, making a public commitment, a public goal. I have found that when I tell others what I want to do, it really helps me to to keep myself on track. They hold me accountable by checking on my progress. John F. Kennedy used to tell a story about his grandfather, Fitzgerald, and I have used this story over and over just in this context. When his grandfather was a boy in Ireland, he liked to walk home from school with a whole group of boys, and there were a lot of very jagged, high cobblestone fences. They were very different. They were, they were kind of difficult to climb. Some of them were 10 to 12 feet high, so they were a little dangerous to climb. But being adventurous boys, they always wanted to go over the walls, but they were, they were stopped short because they were afraid of getting hurt. But one day as they were walking home from school, Fitzgerald took his cap off and threw it over the wall. And the moment moment that he threw it over the wall, he knew that he had to climb over that wall to get it back because he didn't dare go home to his parents without his cap. He was going to get it. He knew that. Throwing your cap over the wall commits you to stretch and do something you would not normally do. I encourage you to begin to throw your cap over the wall. Do something. The vision must be followed by the venture. It's not enough to stare up the steps. You have to step up the stairs. Amen. Stretch. Most people are vulnerable when they stretch. When a rubber band is pulled taut, that's when it's easier to break. A runner who's stretching for the wire is in a precarious position. If you just pushed him a little bit, you could knock him clear off course because he's in the stretch. Every energy, every muscle, every fiber is aiming toward the goal. And it leaves that runner very vulnerable because it's like Paul. That one thing, it is, he's centered on that one thing. If you're not stretching, You're in a much better position to defend yourself because your muscles are naturally defensive. Though most people begin their lives by stretching, they soon discover that this position leaves them open to attack. So they start to withdraw. They start to equate stretching with pain. And before long, they're not willing to stretch anymore because they don't want the pain that goes with stretching. Those who continue to stretch find themselves vulnerable to criticism. Unfortunately, the road to success is paved with critics. They're ready and willing to point out how imperfect other people do what they themselves are unwilling or unable to do. Jonah Salk 
who developed the polio vaccine, was attacked continually for his creative, inventive work in the medical field. He found that criticism came in three stages. He said the first stage is when people tell you that you're wrong. It won't work. And after they see you have some success under your belt, the next thing they tell you, well, yeah, okay, but it really, what you're doing isn't really important. And finally, after they see that it is important, then they say, well, they knew that you would do it all along. <laughs> if you're stretching, the best defense to those critics is the fruit of your labor. Don't feel that you have to pull out of that stretch position to defend yourself. Just go out and produce fruit. Those who recognize fruit will appreciate it. And those who don't recognize fruit will criticize you whether you produce it or not. Amen. And we're also, you know, and I want you to understand, I, I'm just giving you some mentoring. We're also vulnerable to misunderstanding when we're in the stretch. When people, often people whose own motives are wrong, feel threatened if we're stretching to be our best. And they react by questioning the validity of our motives, accusing us of doing our best for some impure purpose. Not only are we vulnerable to the reaction of others, but we can be vulnerable to ourselves when we're stretching. We're often harder on ourselves than other people are on us. If we have no goals, we won't recognize failure. But if we're stretching for success, we're going to fail from time to time. We need to learn how to deal with failure. Don't ever let failure become final. Be aware that discouragement is failure's partner. The best way to pull yourself out of discouragement is to surround yourself with people who are encouragers. Get friends who really understand the value of affirmation, who really believe in you. Do you know the, the best way to get encouragers to to be around you is to become an encourager yourself. Learn how to encourage yourself and learn the value of encouraging others. Be an affirmer. Oh, God, help us. We need some affirmation. We need some affirm affirmers today. The most important time to encourage people is when they're stretching. You want to be a cheerleader to a friend. Be a cheerleader when he or she is really moving out and they're stretching. Too many people encourage too late. I think there are times when we're afraid to encourage risk takers because in doing so, we'll be identified with them. We join them out there on the limb. <laughs> and if the limb falls off and they fail, we fail too. But remember, even a tombstone <laughs> will say good things about a person after they're dead. Don't be a tombstone encourager. Encourage early and encourage often. Don't wait for the race to be won, but encourage each step forward. Encourage immediately. The effect of an encouraging word loses its strength over time as it lapses. If you sense that a friend is starting to slip, you need to give immediate affirmation before the slip has a chance to become a full-scale slide. Encourage personally. Don't be afraid to encourage in front of other people. Nothing is more encouraging than to receive honest praise in front of your peers. Stretching never stops. Most people never learn that stretching never stops. 
We have a stretching, we have a pattern of stretching and resting, stretching and resting. And I understand the need for recuperation and restoration. But the problem is that most people stretch a little and rest a lot. And pretty soon they have a vacation mentality. That's what we get so often in churches and in leadership. That's the attitude. We have a vacation mentality. Amen. You have a retirement mindset. Too many people stop learning because they become, they've come to believe that, well, if I go to 12 years of school and then maybe I'll go to college for four years, my education is over. But a good education really does nothing more than prepare you to stretch and to learn for the rest of your life. Then there are people who stop trying because of bad past experiences. They say, and this is a pastor's nightmare, no matter what you try to say, they say, well, we've tried that once before. I've already done that. doesn't work. They allow one failure to put the lid on all their abilities. The largest room in the world is room for improvement. <laughs> Amen. The, there was a lady, she was a teacher. She'd been a teacher for 25 years. Let's see if this, let's see if this remark resembles you. <laughs> She'd been a teacher for 25 years. She heard about a job that would mean a promotion and more money. But then somebody who had only been teaching one year was hired instead. She was very upset. She went to the principal. And she said, how could somebody who's only been teaching one year get this position when I have had 25 years of experience? And the principal responded. She said, he's he said, I'm sorry, you haven't had 25 years of experience the way you claim. You have had one year's experience 25 times. During the whole time, that teacher had never improved. When you stop stretching, you become boring. Nothing bores me like people who haven't had a new thought in at least a year. Like that guy who had a terrible accident. He woke up one morning and a thought struck him. <laughs> Amen. You know, there are people who haven't had a new idea in years. They bore me. They bore me. That's why I think it's so important that in every area of our lives, we continue to stretch. A friend asked the famous Dutch sculptor, said, which is your greatest statue? He said, the next one. That is so, so true. A minister who was retired and he went to Florida, and he called his son. And he said, son, I want to tell you that life is so exciting. He said, I, I, I've got more work than I've ever had in my life. I've ex I have scheduled more spiritual meetings. I'm traveling more. My correspondence is so heavy that I actually had to hire a secretary. Life is not boring at all. I've been busy. And the son said, my dad is in his early 60s now. But he said, I have no doubt that when he's in his early 80s, he's still going to be excited about life. He's determined to live until he dies. I'm afraid that we have so many people that, you know what, you're really dead and you're just waiting to be buried. Amen. You're not really alive. You have no expectation. Like the guy who wanted to ride the merry-go-round at a carnival, and when the ride was over, there was his wife with hands on her hips. And she said, now look at you. She said, you spent your money, you got, on where you, you got off where you got on, and you ain't been nowhere. That could be the summary statement of life for many people. Round and round and round life goes, but when it all stops, where have they been? 
Oh, time's been filled all right. The hours have been packed with all kinds of activities. There have been meetings and organizations, and they've been this and they've been that. They've done this and that and the other. But where has it taken them? Have they moved a world or a family or even one life toward higher standards and greater achievements? Have they realized any goals at all? Have they deepened their spiritual life? Have they broadened their understanding of God? Have they heightened their appreciation of biblical truths? Have they lengthened their perception of truth? Things continue to go round and round, round and round, round and round. Sometimes life goes around at such a speed that we can hardly keep up. One of our biggest tasks as, a, as Christians is to see that there is a continual advancement toward the goal of Christ's likeness to be brought into his image. We cannot afford to, to get off where we got on without going anywhere. Why do people stop stretching? I could give you several reasons. The first is that they surround themselves with people that are both bored and boring. Staying around people who are vitally alive if you want your blood to continue to flow. There is a reason why elderly people die fast when they enter retirement centers where there's nothing for them to do. Then all of a sudden they say life has come down to this that we sit down and watch the sun to set. When you're only waiting around every day for the sun to set, you're in trouble because really they're going to be setting pretty soon themselves. Another reason why that people don't stretch is that work ceases to be a challenge. For many people, work is nothing more than assembly line, and it becomes automatic. That's why we're always needing new goals, new visions, new dreams. Many people stop stretching because they have learned to get by with shortcuts. I'm just murdering you. <laughs> take this down. Take it in. Maybe nobody will ever say this to you again. Nothing is more damaging to growth than getting by with second best. There is a difference between taking shortcuts and working smart. We all want to work smart. Working smart takes less less efforts but is more effective. But shortcuts not only require less effort, but they're less effective. So I'm not talking about working smart, knowing priorities, understanding how to arrange your work so you can do it more quickly. I'm talking about settling for less than the best. I find that many pastors learn early in their careers that they can just open their Bibles, study a text a little bit, and then get up and wing it. They really stop taking the time to study in their messages and develop depth in their preaching. I know pastors, I've known them over the years, you know, people that I've been very well acquainted with, they have to move every three to four years because they've used up all their resources. They've taken their shortcuts all their lives, and they've forgotten how to study. Many have learned just to get by. Many times we stop stretching because we, we see our value based on our relationships and not on our resources. Marriage is an example of that. If we stretch as hard after our marriages as we do, <laughs> you know, before, if we go as hard after marriage to try to make our mates happy as we did before marriage to try to get them to marry us, we wouldn't have so many marriage problems. But after the wedding, we figure our spouses will love us just because we're married. So we stop stretching. So the marriage stops growing. Amen. I'll t- you know, let me do it in another area. 
It'll work. I've known people start a new job and they work hard for six months and they're doing great. Then they become friends with the boss and they start slacking off because they mistakenly think a relationship means they don't have to pull as hard on their resources. They stop stretching. You must never stop. We cannot stand still in the Christian life. If we don't, we're going to get off. (laughs) We're going to get off. If we don't stay on, we'll get off. We might get off worldly-minded like Demas. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. We might get off destructively like Saul. Saul took his sword and fell upon it. We might get off compromisingly like Peter. Peter sat down among them. We might get off immorally like David, and David lay with her. High in the Swiss Alps, there is a solitary grave, and a wooden cross marks the site. And on that cross, there are these stirring, revealing words, He died climbing. Amen. Wherever we quit, that will be our limits. 400 years ago, there was a gardener that planted a small pine tree in one inch of soil in a shallow dish. He trimmed each root and branch as the tree grew. When he died, his son took up the task and so on down through 19 generations. Today that tree stands, never having outgrown the original dish in the Kahura Gardens in Tokyo. After 400 years, it is only 20 inches high and the twisted top some 36 inches across. That tree can shout a warning to every person here today. The mind and the soul can be cut back just like that tree with the same results, a dwarf. Maybe I'm preaching to some like that today. You know, at a country fair, a farmer exhibited a pumpkin grown in the exact shape of a two-gallon jug. And he said, how did you do that? He said, well, when it was no bigger than my thumb, I stuck it in the jug and it started to grow. When it got to the limits of the jug, it quit growing. So it's shaped just like the jug. What the glass jug did to that pumpkin, our beliefs can do for our souls. We grow as big as the things that we believe. And then we stop. Beliefs are creative, but they're also restrictive. They make us what we are, but they limit us to what they are. So it's very important what we believe. One of the things about mentoring is we need to challenge people's personal beliefs sometimes. I'm not talking about their religious beliefs, but their beliefs about themselves. A lot of things you're believing about yourself, that Those beliefs are wrong, and we need to challenge those beliefs. As we say in self-talk, you need to erase them and replace them. Amen. Stretching. Most people look back at their stretching experiences as their finest experiences. Do you know why that is? When I was stretching, that's when I was the happiest. Because growth is happiness. Growth is a biblical principle based on a personal attitude choice. If words in the Bible mean anything, then there is such a thing as growth, and believers are exhorted to grow. Look at Paul. Paul said to the Thessalonians, your faith groweth exceedingly. We beseech you that you increase more and more. The Lord make you to increase in love. We beseech you as you received of us, you ought to walk and to please God so you would abound more and more.